Hello and welcome to Welcome to the Party Boat. I'm leaving it in. Welcome to episode 85 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is uh, the uh, what, what should I get? I got to give you something from Resident Evil 4. Um, 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 um. Uh, your right hand, which comes off. Your hand, no. Your right hand comes off. Steven, your right hand comes this off. Is my ring. Steven, your right hand comes off. I had boredom kills me, my ring. Yeah, because boredom kills me. How much do we love Resident Evil 4? So much that I would suplex it. I I would suplex it. I'd give it a German suplex. You put it into an Ultimax suplex hole? Ooh, timely. That's a segue if I've ever heard one. There we go. Hey, Derek, how you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm Derek Heemsbergen, Embryon on the boards, and uh, what should my nickname be? uh, I'm not the Sister Complex Kingpin of Steel. (laughs) <laughs> like, uh, Can you explain that to me? Because when I was editing your review, I was just so confused. I was uh, so confused. They ju- they give all the characters pejorative nicknames, like to to exaggerate their traits or whatever, to coerce them into fighting and stuff. Um, so the the idea is that Narukami loves Nanako and is super protective of her to a fault. I don't know. But I love that aspect of Narukami. I know, right? It's cool. So well, like. She is the spunky dragon with deadly legs. I don't really see how that's a bad thing. She oh, actually, they key dragon. They have their other things. They have, like she's the meat eating, or what is she like the, oh, the like car- the meat carnivore eat- who has di- the meat eating carnivore discarded. who has uh, discarded her womanhood. Yeah. Anywho, why don't you tell hey, us what's what up, Derek? Tell us what you're talking about. We, we're already there. We might as well just go right into it. Sure, why not? I've been playing a lot of Persona 4 Arena Ultimax, which is super cool. It's the iterative improvement of Persona 4 Arena, um, just like how with, say, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, there was an ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3. So this is another game in that vein. It's uh, We decided to cover it because this has a new golden arena mode that has some RPG elements. And besides, Persona is incredibly huge world, and it's, I mean, it's, it's of interest to everybody, I think, who is interested in RPGs anyway. So... Persona 4 Arena Ultimax is awesome. It is a, it's a one-on-one fighter. You've probably heard of it if you listen to our podcast. But uh, this new version comes out. Um, it should be out right about the time this episode releases. And I was lucky enough to get it a bit early, so I've been playing it. Uh, um, my review just went up yesterday. And, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. So uh, in this one, it's, a, it's got a fully-fledged st- story mode. It's kind of like a visual novel. It follows the story of Persona 4 Arena, and uh, it explains why everything is going on with Labrys, the new uh, anti-shadow robot. She kind of looks like Igus from Persona 3, so she's another one in that same line of robots. And uh, it explains basically a little bit more about what's going on with her and this new character, Sho Minozuki. I think we've actually talked about it a little bit in, uh, like, when we brought up news stories before, but this guy, he's got red, like, really vibrantly red hair and this X-shaped scar on his face. And uh, a lot of people had speculated for quite a while that he might be a Persona 5 character or, like, the protagonist because his hair is so red and then all of the teaser materials that have come out for Persona 5 as well as the director comments have been uh, in line with the game's color, like, the key color being red. Like, how yeah, Persona like, 3 had, had blue and 4 had yellow. Like, all the, that's the, pri- the so, three primary colors. Yeah, so uh, I can tell you, I, I've beaten the game. Um, there are two story paths. There's a Persona 3 and a Persona 4 side, and I beat both of those, and as well, there's a little bit more beyond that. And uh, I, I cleared all of it, and it's it's a pretty good story. It's not 
quite on the level of, say, like Persona 3 or 4, the original games. But if you thought that the story content was good in, say, like Persona 3's The Answer or um, the original Persona 4 Arena, it's even though I know The Answer is kind of contentious because it kind of retconned a lot of stuff. But it's, it's, a, it's a serviceable story for sure. And there's definitely foreshadowing for Persona 5. I won't say anything specific, but um, I would be really, really surprised if Minazuki doesn't appear in some way in a future Persona game. So, um, yeah, like, have you guys played the original? I, Steven, I know you and I played the original online a lot. Yeah, Rob, we, have we, you tried we played it a lot. I got I got murdered a lot, but I'm hoping that we can yeah, play this one and maybe I'll be... Uh, basically, my, my life goal is to play as Junpei and Chie and win every match, but, you know... <laughs> I gotta say, that, Jupe is fantastic. That game intimidated the hell out of me. So I picked up Blaz Blue um, way back when, and I really wanted to get into that game, and it was just completely over my head. So this is uh, the same guys again, right? Was it Axis? It's it's Arc System Works. Arc System Works. I, I wanted to say that first, and then I didn't. Yeah. And it's, so you were saying when I read through your review, uh, and I was proofing it for you, you said that it's like it's very accessible, that it's got the depth to it, but you can just kind of jump in and have fun with it. It is, yeah. So like I said in my review, I'm I'm fairly middle of the road when it comes to fighting games. I, I like to think that I'm good at video games in general. Wow, so pretentious. But... Uh, fighting games are on a different level because a lot of it does have to do with your mind games and being able to execute long strings of combos at, like on the fly. And I've always been decent at them, but I'm not good enough to be a tournament player or anything by any means. At one time I went to a, a fighting tournament called Devastation and I just got completely destroyed. I, I just played Smash, but even then, like it's it's really humbling to go play against pros. That's pretty much my skill level as well. Like I... I... I like playing very competitively with my friends, but you know I don't yeah. play by turn. I don't like I don't typically like the t- type of regimented rules of tournaments. Not because they're bad, but they just don't work for me. Yeah, it's the same for me. They just they don't really suit the way I like to play. So so like you were asking, Rob, I think Persona Four Arena does a really good job of being accessible because uh, I've been playing with a couple of friends, and the, the all of us are pretty closely matched. Even the ones who don't play fighting games as much. Um, Persona 4 Arena has a nice auto-combo system that lets you basically just mash your weak attack button, and then it'll unleash a string of attacks that combo into each other and then finish with a super, if you have enough of your super meter. And it looks cool. It makes you feel like you're really powerful and in control, but less damage than if you were to execute stuff manually. So the trade-off is like, yeah, you can still get in there and feel like you're, you're performing well and you have fun, but when it comes to higher-level technical play people who know how to manually execute the, the harder combos are definitely going to be performing better no matter what. So, um, And it's a four, it has a four-button setup, so there's just like weak attack, strong attack, and weak persona attack, strong persona attack. So b- because there's only four buttons, they made all of the different combinations of buttons do different things, like you can press your like the two on the left side together. Like Imagine they're laid out in a square. So you could put like press the two on the left together to do an all-out attack, or press the two on the top together to do a dash through the other person, or press the right two to throw, and so on. So you never feel like there's not enough options there, but you have a good balance of being able to get in and just kind of, like, if you want to mash, you can just mash, and you'll still do okay. Um, but there's a lot more technicality present if you want to get into it, which I think is a really great, great It's, t- it's hard to strike that balance, but, and I know, I'm pretty sure this one has, like, the... Does it still have the button the first one had where you can basically press this one button and it'll do all your cool-looking combos for you? Yeah, that's what I was saying. The auto-combo thing. Mm-hmm. It's just the, the weak attack button. 
Now, a lot of people are probably playing this for like the story, the Persona 3 characters and Persona 4 characters mm-hmm. and you know some implications that it might be uh, playing into Persona 5. What can you tell us about the story? Like, How does that play in for somebody that didn't maybe didn't play the first game? Like, How does everything link up a little bit? Yeah, so Persona 4 Arena is what first established that the uh, Persona 3 and Persona 4 happenings are in the same world. Like even in, uh, in I think in Persona Four they actually went to the school from Persona Three just yeah. to like a field trip. Yeah, you so so that happened. But they definitely they actually go into a lot more detail um, with Persona Four Arena. So basically, Mitsuru is leading a, the Persona Three crew, and they're the shadow officers. They're people who work um, behind the scenes to eliminate shadows from the world. And they come to Inaba, the setting of Persona Four, because they hear about this uh, mysterious fighting tournament and there's shadows involved and stuff. Um, and the the anti shadow weapon Labrys, who is another robot, she she's involved in the whole incident. So um, they bring these two casts together, and they establish that they both are actually like their their powers may have manifested in different ways, and shadows are interfering with them in different ways. But it's all part of the same unified world. So um, Persona Four Arena Ultimax continues that story and talks about primarily this guy Sho Minazuki, who is the uh, he straight up, like, in the very beginning, he's like, I'm the mastermind behind the case. Ha, ha, ha. So you're like, what's going on? Um, because you, you don't actually get to see. At the at the end of Persona 4 Arena, they they leave it pretty open as to what actually went on. So Persona 4 Arena Ultimax does a good job of tying up those loose ends and giving a really definitive conclusion to what what was going on in the tournament. While also making the Persona universe into a larger canon. Um, because you see so much crossover, like, with the, the Velvet Room there are the attendants Elizabeth, uh, Margaret, and even Theodore, who is from Persona 3 Portable. They all show up, and they talk about stuff like they acknowledge that things happen in Persona 3 and continue to happen in Persona 4 after that. So I think it, uh, I think it absolutely sets up Persona 5, and there are some specific things that are said that are like, oh, yeah, obviously, like Persona 5 is going to happen with such and such thing. But um, I, I think it would be kind of hard to follow if you haven't played Persona 4... Like, if you hadn't played Persona 3 or Persona 4 at all, it's going to be really hard to follow. Mm-hmm. You can probably get by without having played Persona 4 Arena 1. And they're actually releasing DLC that, that uh, I think it's $10, which is kind of a lot. But $10 to get the entire story from Persona 4 Arena um, playable in Ultimax. Because that's the and, only thing that Ultimax I, doesn't I, have over the original. And if I recall, that actually has the... Um, that incorporates the tweaks to each fighter into that story mode, too, I think. So like you're oh yeah yeah so everybody will have their their updates. So the the entire cast is is present from the first one as well, and in addition to them, uh, they're all there and they all have uh, new moves. Everybody has a couple new moves at the very least. Their auto combos that were present in the first game have been tweaked, so they all have new auto combos that utilize their new moves typically. And in addition to them, there are six new fighters right out of the bat or right out of the gate, which is cool. Um, it has Yukari, Junpei, and Ken from Persona 3. And Ken actually is, uh, he's a, a set, like he's paired up with Koromaru the dog. So his Persona buttons actually make Koromaru attack, which is kind of cool. So you can send Koromaru out to hit people. Um, so he's like a cool balance between ranged and space control. Um, so there's those three. And then Risei from Persona 4, the navigator, she can fight now. She fights with a microphone stand and... She has uh, <laughs> one of her super moves is actually like a rhythm game. Like it goes into a separate screen and you have to hit the four buttons to the rhythm to do extra damage. It's kind of funny. That's amusing. And uh, 
yeah, and then finally Sho Minazuki, the the new red guy with the red hair, he actually has two different. Uh, there he takes up two character slots. One doesn't have a persona, and the other does. So the one who doesn't have a persona just has extra attacks with his normally persona buttons. Um, and they explain why there are two of him. It's it's all part of the story, and I, I actually think it's resolved pretty well by especially by persona standards. I mean, there's a lot of supernatural stuff obviously happening in persona, so they explain it in such a way that it doesn't feel like a stupid throwaway reason to have two palette swaps there, you know, two identical things of the same character. And then finally, they're adding three new characters via DLC. They're adding Marie, who was the uh, new character added to Persona 4 Golden, the girl with the blue hat. The she was the new Velvet Room attendant. Um, and Adachi from Persona 4. I won't say anything else about that. And uh, Margaret, who is the other Velvet Room attendant. She's the one from Persona 4. So... I wanted to add to that if you're interested in Persona 4, like playing that, maybe this is more of a question really. If you're interested in playing Persona 4 and maybe doing like Ultimax first for whatever reason, like you, you haven't played Persona 4, you're going to play the fighting game, aren't there things that could be given away? Like you should probably yeah, play Persona 4. Things are automatically given away. Yeah. In, yeah. Like major, you, major you, plot you, points are given away. Like even the first arena spoils Persona 4, so you, you need to play Persona 4 first. Yeah, yeah like like this is very much uh, aimed at people who have played both games already. That was just, mm-hmm. you know, public I think service. Anybody can, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. I, I think that anybody could jump in and play it if they're if they're not interested in the story. Like, you don't have to have an attachment to the characters to appreciate how differently they play and, and how the game itself works. But, yeah, yeah, just by default, like, the existence of one character is a spoiler. Um, uh, that, yeah, there's there's stuff about, like, like, Teddy and Naoto that are super spoilerific. Uh, they just show like just things in their victory poses and that kind of stuff like there it's all based on existing knowledge and, and story that's come before so i definitely would it's great it's great for fans first. but it means that you necessarily can't be playing it before the story game if you are interested in the story right so yeah um so besides the that i, I won't hang too long on this one but it's a great game i think it's it's fantastic and it, it improves upon persona 4 arena in pretty much every way there's no reason to go get arena now unless you had to get that story and then even then you could just do the dlc um but one of the main reasons why we reviewed it uh, at rpg fan was because it has that golden arena mode which is like um it's it's basically like going through it, it structurally it's almost the same it's like you're just fighting people computer opponents in a but you're quote unquote going through dungeons, and you can you you level up as you fight uh, your opponents, and you actually get skills, things like Medea, which you can like you can press start in the middle of your match to heal yourself once, or Sonic Punch, which is if you get the first hit, then you get extra SP at the very beginning of the match. SP is what you use to execute your super moves. So there's there's definitely some some strategy that goes into that because you can also get things like uh, Dekunda, which is the persona the fans will know it's the spell that uh, removes a debuff, or rather removes a buff from an enemy. So you can do you can do stuff like that, um, and the opponents will be balanced in, in such a way that they'll have like certain skills, so you might need to set the right skill to overcome it. But, but in practice, all it really means is that you're just fighting opponents with some different conditions happening. It doesn't change the game enough, I feel, for it to be like a completely different experience. But it's a cool addition, and I think that it makes it a lot uh, more appeal to doing that than just running through arcade over and over. Like, it sounds like quest mode, mode in theater much... rhythm, actually. Yeah, actually, because the, the, it's exactly the same thing. Like in theater rhythm, quest mode doesn't actually change the way songs play, but 
it just changes the surrounding environment enough to make it more interesting. So yeah, and like think, you know, there are the power ups and stuff, you know. Yeah, so I think it's uh, yeah, like how in theater rhythm, especially in versus mode, they have stuff like the like you you can make the arrows come at your opponent faster, or slower, or start spinning. Oh God, the spinning arrows! Judgment's the worst, man. Uh oh! I use judgment, Koopo. Yep, exactly. So, uh, so that RPG mode is pretty cool. But I actually, I, I played it a bit, but I just spent most of my time doing story and then versus matches, hours and hours of versus matches. So, I think Persona 4 Arena Ultimax is a, is a fantastic game if you like fighting games at all, and even if you haven't played, uh, if you haven't played Persona 3, I think you're fine to still jump into it. Like if you played four, that's that's enough. But uh, it's it's excellent, and if you're a fan, there's really no reason not to get it. If it's not a difficult game by any means, especially like the story mode is not difficult at all. The match basically throwaway. So if all you want to do is experience the story, jump in. It's and it's good. It's well worth it. Uh, I think there's some satisfying narrative resolution there, and I think that what it hints at for Persona Five is pretty exciting. So I need to get it. Yeah. Cool. It's very cool. good. All right. I, I'm. Certainly excited for Persona 5. I, th- I think that we uh, we might not have had a podcast since they announced that it's going to be on PlayStation 4. I can't even remember if oh, we've man. had a podcast since then. That makes me so happy. Yeah, that's I know, what like, I wanted to hear. Because like I wanted to use it with the PS4 controller, and I really wanted to, like... You, you're just in love PS4. with that PlayStation just, 4 controller. I love it, too. It's great. I well, love, that's the, the, the I, thing is also, like, it looks sharper, and, like, the console is so much faster... Like even in the menus, I like not having to turn that it is on. A big thing, actually. Yeah, like just just when you get into it, like going to the PlayStation store is super fast. Like mm-hmm. everything about the PS4 experience, I'm now super spoiled by it. So every time I play games on my PS3, I'm like, this could be better. Yeah, but that's just a and consequence of having the, one of the biggest factors. Yeah, one of the biggest factors too is that if it's on PS4, that means you can play it on Vita. And like I did with Natural Do- Natural Doctrine yesterday. I was playing on the couch, and then I was like, I'm going to go lay in bed, and I just remote played from my bedroom and kept playing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we might as well talk about Natural Doctrine since you brought it up, because uh, I was kind of interested in that, and it doesn't seem like you know what to make of it. It's 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 interesting. So, hang on, I have to stop playing Resident Evil 4 so I can focus it looks a little more. really terrible. Let's get the bat out of the way. It's 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 basically a Japanese indie game. Katakawa Games this is like their first release as Katakawa Games. They developed it. Um, it's very budget. So I got the PS3 and the PS4 version for review, and they kind of look the same. Um, you know, they're not super attractive. You know, the artwork is nice. Uh, the, the you know there's a there is a good sense of artistic design. So like the title screen and stuff has really pretty artwork on it, and the world map looks really nice. And, like, the characters themselves, their artwork looks great. Um, you know, when you get into the game, it sort of looks like a really souped-up early PS3 game, maybe even a, a late PS2 game. Like, it's not it's not an attractive game, but we, we I, I, I thought about this a lot, and I feel like we sort of have this, like, double standard where a Western indie game, we're like, yeah, you know, it looks like an old PS2 game, but I still love it, and it's got great design. When, you know, it's pretty ugly. Oh, man. And I, I feel Rainbow like... Moon looked like crap. Yeah, and like I, f- fair fair point. But I feel like that <laughs> game had good artwork too. But so this is basically, I mean, for me, I'm looking at it sort of as a Japanese small developer game. You know, like don't think of it as like it's Square Enix, so it's got to look gorgeous. The character models are okay. The environments I have seen so far are all sort of unattractive. Like they're very bland and like 
you know, it's clear that this was not a high-budget production. But what it makes up for in that is that this is a very focused game. So, like, you know, they said a lot about designing it. Like, we want to make a strategy RPG for hardcore strategy RPG fans. We want it to have, like, really complex rules and be very, very difficult. And it is very difficult. Um, basically, you have the opening fight that teaches you how to play, and then after that, the game's like, all right, well, you're going to die now, so good luck. Um it's pretty good in indicating which areas are more difficult. So, like, you're on the world map, and, like, you know, you're, you're a member of this group called the Bergmans, and you're, like, you know, you, you're sort of a merc group, but you're going around, um, you know, basically fighting monsters at first. And so, like, it does a good job of telling you, like, hey, if you go here, it's going to be really hard. Like, it ranks everything, like, you know, from A to E in terms of difficulty. Um, so it's it's very carefully designed and that's why i don't know quite what to make of it because while it's really ugly and like the voice acting is okay it's really repetitive in combat so like all of the characters have like one quote they say and they say it every time they get a turn so it's it gets a little grating in that regard the music's pretty good but it looks pretty confusing um just looking at screenshots i see a lot of arrows going around um, a lot of gauges on the screen Um, there are how how difficult is it to penetrate? Like, so, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> In terms of its difficulty to be penetrated, it is. We're such kids. Art <laughs> so... is, is ringing bells right now. Maximum penetration. Yeah, but so that's the thing is this is not like hey I played Jean d'Arc <laughs> and I like that. <laughs> Derek's messed up. We gotta give him a second. Give him a second, ladies and gentlemen. Derek's like, is it? Derek's like, how difficult is it to penetrate Jean d'Arc as a game? Just as a game. Uh, Yeah, as a game, right. Okay, go ahead, please. Okay, so, for starters, I have a lot of experience in strategy RPGs. I think we probably all do. Um, The tutorial is pretty extensive. So the first mission teaches you, like, the very basics. And then the next, like, two or three missions at the beginning are like, hey, we want to teach you some advanced techniques. You need to do that because it does not play like a traditional strategy RPG. So instead of having a grid, every you have free movement, and every area is broken up into zones. So, like, your character could have a movement range of two zones. And each zone you move into can hold four units, or if they're bigger units, it can hold one, two or even just one if it's, like, a boss-type unit. And so you can move freely around there, and it really focuses on, like, you have to play strategically. Like, you cannot run ahead with your gunner or they will get killed instantly. Um, You're, you know, your guy with a shield, your main guy can switch between a shield and a gun, um, which is important because then from far away he can play support. But when you get up close, for example, you want to run up and then use the guard move, which has him ready his shield. Then anybody else in that square or in that zone, if, if you get attacked, he'll jump in front with his shield and try to block attacks. And you need to do that because... It focuses on this system called initiative, where you have the turn order at the top, but every character has a condition to link. So, for example, your dude could have a condition where it's like, if we're in the same zone, you'll get a link, which means if you run up and block and then somebody else enters the zone with you, the dude in the zone existing already gets another turn right away ahead of the queue. And so the the main conceit of the game is sort of using link turns to help your party advance without letting the enemy get turns. Because if the enemy gets a turn, they can use link turns as well. So you could run into a situation where you've badly positioned your units and the enemy gets like 15 turns and just murders you. Um, 
But on the other hand, if you're careful, you know, you could run up to a, squ- a zone that has four enemy units in it. And if you plan your link turns, and that's where the, line, where the lines come in. You'll, okay. The first character will initiate an attack. So you'll say, all right, sword guy, attack enemy B. And then when you run another character into that zone to join him in the attack, because you have to, there's like a zone restriction. Like a gunner has to be within two zones to attack. A sword guy has to be within one. So every character will get a chance to connect with him for that attack. So, like, you could run another character in and create a formation. So if you create, like, a triangle formation, the lines will appear between them that say, like, you know, link attack, critical plus, damage plus. And so the idea is that when you get a link turn, you want to move as many characters into the zone as possible and then position them so you can maximize your damage. And then the attack commences. And so what you'll do is, like, you'll look at the queue for enemies and you'll try to target enemies that are getting turned so you can kill them before they even get a turn. And that's sort of the main conceit is attempting to advance through the zones as much as possible without letting the enemies get a turn. Um, and, you know, it, it complicates things because, you know, you'll run into a dungeon, you'll go really gung-ho, and then all of a sudden a super monster will appear and it's like, no, you have to flee now. And so you have to, like, basically know which enemies to hit to stop their turn so they can't run you down because, you know, sometimes the enemy will have a much bigger movement range. And you have to pay attention to, like, how much health your unit has, because when they go to a critical health, they can only move one zone at a time, which basically means they're going to get overrun. Um, so it is a complicated game. It's not, you know, I took a break from it for, like, two weeks after I did the tutorials, and I sort of forgot how to play. Um, but it does follow its own rules very, very fairly. So there was a, a particular battle I had to do where you have to fight your way through a bunch of goblins and get to the bottom of this mine. And then when you get there, like, super spiders attack you, and they tell you you have to run. And they give you a hit in the cutscene. They go, okay, so shield guy has to defend the rear of the, of the caravan, basically, while everybody else runs. So you have to really carefully balance where he's standing, because if you stay too far behind, he gets overrun and killed, and then you lose. Because as soon as the unit dies, you fail. Um, so like the, the unit you have to protect, or any unit? Any unit. In any battle, if you're care Because it's permanent death. And the story continues with each character. So you ha- that's part of where the difficulty comes in. And it's not unfair because the game is built around the fact that, you know, you have to keep it. Everyone has to survive. Um, but that's where the challenge comes from is you really have to, like, plan. And this is the kind of game where you are not meant to win the battles on the first try. You have to really know what's going on. There are checkpoints in the battles, though, which is good. So, like, you know, you spend half an hour fighting your way to this bottom of this mine and then you get attacked by spiders and die your checkpoint is right at the beginning of the part where the spiders show up. So you get the chance to keep redoing it and, you know, use what you've learned. So it's not unfair and it's not wasting your time, but it's very difficult in that, like, you know, this chase sequence, by the time I got to the bottom, I had figured out regular combat pretty well and I was clearing up the goblins without any trouble. But then it took me, like, eight or nine tries to figure out how to escape because you really have to, like... It's it's so different from, like, your, your Final Fantasy tactics where it's like, oh, there's a rock in front of him, he can't attack. In this, because of the zones, you, you at first assume that, like, oh, I'm in this zone, he's two, he's two zones away, he can't hit me. But hiding behind a wall, for example, will block an enemy from using a ranged attack on you. So if you can put a piece of scenery between you and the enemy, you can stop them from hitting you with range attacks. So there's, it's, it's very difficult to sort of grasp to get your head around, and it definitely has a learning curve. But if you like strategy RPGs, that's why it's so difficult for me to sort of figure out what I think of it. Because it's very budgety feeling, but on the other hand, it doesn't feel budgety in the systems area. It feels like they put all of their effort into creating this really elaborate, very complex, but logical battle system. 
that yeah. I think there is definitely a market for it and definitely like you know so far the story hasn't been anything to write home about but in terms of just having really great strategy um, it's definitely been that like I really enjoyed the combat um, the the skill system when you level up you get AP and each character gets like you know a skill tree but what's cool is you can totally redistribute your skills anytime you want um, oh. so you know at first like the first four characters you have you have a gunner you have the main guy who's sort of an all-around fighter. He can use guns and he can use the sword and shield. You get a big dude who goes ham with a, a like a broadsword, and then you get another sword and shield lady. And so, like you know, if you find that your skills aren't working for a battle, you can go back to the world map and you can be like, "Hey, I need better defensive skills this round, or I need better movement range this round." And you can rebuild your your character so he has movement range. Um, like there, there are um, a lot of strategy RPGs that I couldn't get into because I felt like the systems were too complex. Um, I, I, I enjoy strategy RPGs, but I've always liked them more in the vein of things like Shining Force, Final Fantasy Tactics, Tactics Ogre Fire. Like I think those have just enough complexity for me. Um, I, I also I like the the first Disgaea, the first couple of Disgaeas, and Phantom Brave was all right. But some of the other stuff, like the, in particular that NIS America has put out, kind of like. Um, like Soul Nomad and the World Eaters, um, stuff like that. I feel like uh, doesn't do a good job of balancing the re- like reward from taking time to learn the systems because I don't know whether it was just my disconnect with the narrative and the characters or whatever, or if it was just not feeling a lot of gratification from actually succeeding in battles. Um, I, I don't know what it was, but so it sounds like Natural Doctrine at least does a good job of making you feel like the mechanic for a reason. And oh, yeah, yeah. Get something from, from employing them intelligently. No, that's huge. That's hugely so important. What? Like, if, if not to cut you off, Steam, but, like, if the game feels like it's cheating or if it feels like its rule set is changing, that's not a good strategy experience. So at least this game, you know, even if it has some problems here and there, from what Steven's saying, it knows what it is and it makes no qualms about it. That, yeah, that's the thing. See, it's a strategy game. So we look at Final Fantasy Tactics. The battlefields and tactics don't look that great. Imagine those just PS3-ified. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is the thing. So I had a conversation with my roommate earlier where we talked about games like Disgaea and stuff. They sort of incorporate, and like a lot of really hardcore JRPGs, like your Compile Heart games and stuff like that. They do, You look at a Western game, they try to build mechanics that seem realistic. Or mechanics that seem like they're built towards, you know, this is how it would go in a war. Whereas you look at, like, a Compile Heart game and there's, like, your hyper combo gauge with your hero points and stuff. That you're doing this sort of esoterica in order to progress where it doesn't make sense diegetically what you're doing. But as a gameplay system, that is how it's constructed. Um, And so this game, I think, is sort of a balance between those things. Because it's certainly with the, the link turns and stuff, it's a little bit harder to grasp than your average strategy RPG. But once you do grasp it, it does have this logic that makes sense. Like, of course you want to put your guy with a shield in front, blocking the character with a gun. But you don't want to have it have the character with a gun position where, like, you know, there's a hill in front of them. Because if you have a gun character backing up the shield guy, when enemies move in front of the shield guy, the gunner will take pot shots at them to shoot them as they're moving out of cover. So, like, it, the positioning and stuff does start to make sense as to why you want to have these people positioned that way. And the outside of combat systems are not very complex. It's very basic. You know, you have four equipment slots, two accessories, a, a main hand, and an op, and an armor, or in like a shield. 
so the complexity it's it's complex but not convoluted which is the difference i would say like the disguise titles are convoluted i would say a lot of compile heart games are convoluted this game looks very convoluted and intimidating but once you start playing it it's difficult because there's so many dynamics to the strategy but the core mechanics themselves make perfect sense hmm. i see cool Cool, and uh, I know that you were in the strategy vein. You also played a little bit of uh, my favorite game from last year, which was Tactics Ogre. A little T.O. little Tactics um, Ogre, maybe? Uh, wait, what? You were saying that you played a little Tactics Ogre. I played a little Final Fantasy Tactics. No, no, no. You were saying that you were playing a little Tactics Ogre because you were complaining that archers were so overpowered. And I said, deal with it, bro. No, I was definitely playing Final Fantasy Tactics. I'm really? playing. I'm playing. So I'm playing the War Rob of the Lions. I just really like Tactics Ogre. Uh, I'll, I'll look for any excuse. You, you definitely were playing Tactics Ogre, dude. <laughs> no, you I definitely wasn't. were. There's nobody else that would be playing Tactics Ogre, man. I I, I I had that conversation with you because I'm playing the the hard mode mod for Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions, which it's hard mode, but it also because like because of course you are. Well, no, because it, re it, re it recalibrates all of the classes and makes them, like, you know, it makes the archer have a bunch of really good skills instead of just one really terrible set. It balances parts of the game to make useless classes good, and it makes the game difficult in that, like, the story battles sort of scale with you. Um, it's very, very, very difficult, but it's kind of awesome to have, like, you know, your black mage has, like, all of these interesting skills that rather than just being various levels of ways to blow people up, it's like they have different movement ranges, they have different times... So it's a lot more strategic, um, and again, it, it fixes the slowdown lag in War of the Lions, which is awesome. So, uh, yeah, that's the strategy RPG I've also been playing. Okay, and fine, fine, fine. Really I, I'm still it, right. Archers in that one are murderous, which is similar to Tactics Ogre, where yes, archers are murderous in Tactics Ogre. Oh, uh, the archers in Tactics Ogre do not mess around. They are like, it will ruin your day, whole game's over, like why God, why, when you're playing against them. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Uh, so we got a little bit of tactics games that we're talking about. Uh, why don't we move on to rhythm games? Let's Yay. move on to rhythm games. Let's talk about the rhythm. Are you feeling the rhythm, guys? I yes. have been feeling the rhythm for 70 hours. Been Good feeling the crap God. out of the rhythm. And rhythm is a dancer. That is a me? lot of rhythming. <laughs> what have you been playing? I wonder what my time is at. Steven, you start. Go. Because you reviewed so. it. I have been playing Final Fantasy Theater Rhythm Curtain Call, or no, sorry, Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy Curtain Call. Uh, theater Rhythm, incidentally, the most difficult word in the world to type. I hate it. I just <laughs> yeah. hate it. Typing it. It's just. Copy have you ever typed review? <laughs> have you ever typed that word or tried to text that word to somebody I and can like, safely say no? <laughs> it it auto corrects to all kinds of things. I got teat rhythm a couple times, which is actually pretty funny. Um, Some kind of. But yeah, for easy Derek <laughs> for, for brevity's what? sake curtain call is what I would call it because uh, that's much easier to type but yeah so Derek and I both played a lot of the first theater rhythm I know I think he played the first one more than I did because I sort of got bored with it because it had a little bit of a limited song selection and there sort of wasn't much going yeah. on like you know you could get your characters to level 99 and that was kind of it and then there was like you know you could just play random songs and the way it was structured where you had to play like event versions of songs to unlock the rest of it and you know it was it it felt like a noble experiment that was very fun the core mechanics were good but there wasn't enough around it to keep you coming back to it mm -hmm. um so curtain call is sort of like 
uh, going from Resident Evil to Resident Evil 2. It's the original game with a much better game built on top of the mechanics. Um, so, first of all, you have it start. You start out with two hundred some odd songs. Um, you know, you're you're restricted for like maybe fifteen minutes to only playing a, a select few songs, and then you unlock every song, um, save for a few. Right. But you unlock all of the songs from the games that are, you know, advertised. You know, you get your Mystic Quest, you get FF Tactics, you get Lightning Returns, you get FF1 through 14, of course. Um, you know, you get some some crazy stuff out there. You get some Dissidia music, which is like some remixed music. Uh, you get uh, Advent Children yeah. music. And all of the Advent Children music they picked is fantastic. Like the rock guitar version of One Winged Angel. Cool stuff. Mm-hmm. They're adding um, um, Romancing Saga music, too, via DLC. Yes, uh, which is awesome, because the songs they're adding are very cool. Um, yes. And so I, there's a yeah. lot of... Um, the, w- the first thing about this game that makes it better is the unlockables. There's way more unlockable stuff. You can unlock... So there's a sound effect when you hit the notes in the music. You can unlock chimes from different Final Fantasy menus to be your your you know your click button. So like mine, whenever you hit the notes in mine, it's the Final Fantasy IX menu confirmation. You know, you can use the light, the Final Fantasy thirteen stuff. You can use the save point chime from Final Fantasy VI. Um, so, there, and you unlock those you play. You unlock, uh, there's like 70 some odd characters, I think. There's a lot. But there's a ton of characters from almost every game represented. You know, you get like Advent Children Tifa. You get uh, Benjamin from Mystic Quest. You get Siaran from um, Crystal Chronicles. And then, you know, of course you get, you know, your Cloud and, you know... Um, you know, my you get Ramza. So my party for the vast majority of my first twenty hours was Zach, Ramza, Zidane, and Vivi, which is amazing. Um, and so yes, I'm currently rocking. Uh, who, who do I have right now? It's important, damn it. Um, I have Ofno. She's my leader. She's the uh, puppet master from Final Fantasy XI, who I am overjoyed is in the game. Um, I've got her. I've got Lilaset from Final Fantasy XI, uh, Agrius from Final Fantasy Tactics, and. Uh, one other, I forget. I think Ishtola from Final Fantasy XIV. The the just the the roster is fantastic. Like they have so many surprising characters in there. Yeah, like fan favorites. Like Agrius being in there is great. And Orlando is going to be added by a DLC. Nice. Um, now, so that's that's one thing I want to address right away. Is people going? The first game had a crappy DLC model because it had like fifty songs or something. In the game it was limited. Uh, and then there was DLC. This one does not feel like it's screwing you out of content for DLC. There's a ton of music and a ton of characters, but the DLC adds even more. So, like, you you don't feel like you're getting part of a game here. Like, I actually right. enjoy the DLC because it's like, oh, cool, there's another song I can throw in. And uh, the DLC gets incorporated into all of the modes, whereas in the first game it was just like, yeah, you unlock the ability to play this song in the exhibition mode. But this one, and we'll talk about quest mode, incorporates it into quest mode and versus mode if you both have the song. And there's even unlockable... The, the, what makes this game feel so cool is that, you know, you'll play, and then you'll unlock a boss battle with chaos, and then it'll unlock a new song. Like, uh, there's a, a great song you unlock pretty early in the game that is a medley of all of the themes from the series, and the video playing in the background is awesome. Like, it's, it's impossible to not get nostalgia feels. Yeah, it's all the... Uh, it's just a, a, a compilation of FMB from all the games in the series, all the way up through 14 and Lightning Returns, like... It's it's fantastic, and those those event stages in general, I think, do an incredible job of of evoking nostalgia. But anyway, go on. With what no, but yeah, and they're great. So you get that, and then like you'll unlock cool remix of the Chaos Shrine from Final Fantasy One, or you unlock Chocobo's mysterious dungeon music. 
Nice. And it's like, so it's, there's a really great attention to all of these different classic games. Um, and like, they, they got the stuff in there that people like, and then like, you know, you could, one of the DLCs, for example, is polarizing. It's crazy Chocobo from Lightning or from thirteen two. Some people hate yep. that song. Some people think it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious, so I picked it up, and it's actually pretty fun. Um, yeah. So there's a ton of stuff in it, and they've got a, a really robust release schedule too for the DLC. Like it's it's something like eight every like eight songs and one character every week for ten weeks. Yeah, eight or ten weeks. There's you, a ton, and you can pretty much look at the Japanese DLC schedule to see what we're getting. Um, because it's pretty similar. Uh, we, for example, this week we got Good King Magomog from Final Fantasy XIV, which is just a blast to play. Um, yeah. But yeah, so th- that's all great. And the, they added basically they jacked the ability from Call of Duty to reset your character's levels. So if you get a character level ninety nine, you send them back to level one. They get a little star next to their name with the number of times you've reset their level. And then they get additional AP from what they had normally at level one. So, you know, the first time you do it, you'll get 10 bonus AP, then you get eight. And that lets you equip more abilities. So, like, my Zidane, for example, is star level seven. No, sorry, star level, star level five. And basically, he just has all of the best abilities equipped. And so I've sort of just been mixing and matching other characters now to level them up to 99. Because it gets very quick. You eventually get, you know, you start getting items that let you teach characters abilities so you'll get like an xp scroll that lets you teach xp bonus to your characters and i have a ton of them so whenever i want to level a new character i throw that on and then you get an item that doubles xp from a battle and then if you do a quest long enough the multiplier for xp goes up so you know it's getting to the point where i can level a character from one to 40 in like one battle if i do the right set of things so it's fun to just keep leveling up because they all have their own abilities you know zidane gets grand lethal squall gets lionheart um vaughn gets what's it called uh Whatever his first quickening was called. Useless main character? Is that what he gets? Whoa, he gets, man. Let's take Sorry. you Was it Pyroclasm? Pyroclasm? Pyroclasm. That's it. Yeah, Pyroclasm. And so, and then certain characters are better for certain kinds of levels. Like, uh, you know, <coughs> excuse me. Zidane gets a lot of abilities to improve loot drops and steal from the enemy so you can get better, tre- better items. There are some characters who have great abilities in the field stages, which. So the game is broken up into three types of stages. Event music stages, which are the cutscene playing in the background, and you tap the notes along with it. Those are the most basic, and they're also the least plentiful. There's usually one for each game. Um, Then there are field music stages, where it's your characters walking through a field, and it's sort of a... They're usually a little bit slower paced than the battle stages, um, and you get ranked based on how much distance you get, and the further you go, the more treasure you get. um, the the field stages. I just want to add how much it surprised me that they have a, a field matching. Just Every about. song. Like if you if you play the Dead Dunes from Final Fantasy from Lightning Returns, you traverse the Dead Dunes and you see like uh, the arc in the background. And like it's it's crazy how yeah, effective like, they were to detail. Like Yusnan has the has the Chocobo light, um, or not the Chocobo light, the uh, Cactuar light. If you play Advent Children, you're in the desert where the first fight in Advent Children happens. Unless you're playing the song where they fight Bahamut in Advent Children, in which case you're in the Midgar Square fight where they fought Bahamut. So yeah, that's a really yeah, cool thing is that there are, great. and it's it's such an attention. Like you know, you'll do Final Fantasy IV and you'll walk through Baron, um, or you know, if you're doing one of the songs from the end, you'll be walking on the moon. Um, yep. And then the final stage is the battle music stages where you know it's your four characters lined up fighting monsters and. That's sort of like they're usually faster paced, and that's where you want a character like Barrett, who has a move that he has, you know, a lot of moves that damage the enemy outright, 
or you know you use Squall with Lionheart, where it's tied directly into his stats. So if you jack up Squall's stats with the Crystarium, which we'll talk about that too, uh, you know you could have Squall's murdering bosses in one hit. It's awesome. And the more enemies you defeat, the more treasure you get, et cetera, et cetera. That all ties into quest mode, which is the best edition of the game. Uh, there's a versus mode now too, which has you know you play and there's randomized power ups, and you know it's it's, it's fun. Uh, and then there's an AI version too. You can play online or locally. But quest mode is sort of where it's at. Um, basically, you'll get these these quest maps where it's a randomized collection of songs, and there's a world map and a final dungeon. So you progress through the map, and you know you can use items like you can use a tent to restore your HP. You know you can use certain items to make to guarantee drops in the next next battle. And you know this is where your party stats really come into play, because for example, if you fight a boss in quest mode. If you don't, even if you win the song, if you don't kill the boss, which is dependent on your character's stats and abilities, you still lose that boss battle. So you won't get their treasure. And if you don't beat the final boss of the quest, you failed the quest. So there's a lot of really cool, like, what abilities can I use to fight this boss? Um, you know, and to get the boss's drop, which is usually a crystal, which lets you unlock characters, you have to really sort of make sure your party's up to snuff. So, like, I had mistakes in the beginning where I'd get to a boss and I had leveled down all of my characters. To level one so i couldn't beat the boss of this level 70 quest so you had to come back to it and then every time you beat a quest you get a new quest which is randomized um so it's a lot of fun and that's that that mode this the, the songs are randomized and you pick the path you want to take and you get an item that lets you change a song like if you get a song you hate you can swap it uh and that incorporates all of your dlc too so you know like i had to play crazy crazy chocobo as a feel as a song at one point um so quest mode is sort of where you can spend tons of time unlocking stuff and really min-maxing your characters. And based on the level of the quest is the difficulty of the song, too. So you can, you can kind of manipulate it in a lot of ways. And then so one of the last things, I guess, worth mentioning is the card Crystarium. In the first game, you could collect cards, but they didn't really do anything. In this one, you get cards, and there's normal, there's rare, and then there's premium cards. And each they're like, you know, cards of the characters, cards of, you know... Dissidia cards, and each one gives a different bonus to a character. You know, one could give you plus five HP. A rare version of Omega, for example, will give you a bunch of ability points. And so what you can do is you can go and mix these cards up to eight on a certain character in the Crystarium and boost that character's stats permanently. And even if you level them down, they keep that bonus. So, like, for example, Ramza has very balanced stats because he has an awesome summon. Every character has a summon that they can use in battle. Ramza has uh, Knights of the Round, I believe. And it's basically nothing survives Knights of the Round. But as a trade-off, his stats aren't super high in any particular area. So what I did is just use the card Crystarium to jack up his stats. So now he's a monster, just murders everything, and has an awesome summon. Huh. Um, and so when you use a card, you don't lose it from your collection because you can still see it. But you just lose it as a consumable item. And you get cards from, you know, you get an item that lets you change all the loot in a battle to cards if you're trying to farm cards. You get them from most battles. You get cards every time you play Versus. Um, the winner gets two cards, the loser gets one, and you get to pick. And you'll find lots of rare cards that way. And, you know, the, the rarer the card, generally the better its effect. Like, if you get a premium BV card, it gives, like, plus 20 magic, which is a lot. Because, you know, a high, a high magic stat can be, like, in the 300s. So, and then you can, when you play the cards, there's a chance that they'll crit. And then you'll get, like, you know, instead of plus 20 magic, you'll get plus 40. So there's a lot of strategy to how you play the cards to make sure you get bonuses, because there are some cards that just increase the chance of a critical. So it's a pretty in-depth system for character progression. Yeah, seriously. 
you know, I mean, just just the way we've been talking about it should give away how much is in this game. Like, I haven't haven't even talked about everything. It doesn't sound like they skimped on anything. It's not like they they made a game that was like, oh, you know, this doesn't have enough content or anything like that. That does not sound like the case with this thing. Yeah, I I already adored the crap out of the first theater rhythm just because I, I love rhythm games. I love music, you know, RPG music. I love Final Fantasy. So all that combined into this experience that I thought honestly couldn't get much better aside from them adding more songs. And then they go and do this where they did, they did something like more than tripled, right? The amount of songs that were in it, or at least tripled, plus all this DLC and all these new modes and all these things that you can do. There's just constantly something happening in the game. Even if you're just trying to go and set a higher score for yourself on something, um, you're going to be unlocking stuff all the while. Mm. Like Steven said, there are a ton of characters in it. And the, the cards, in addition to being usable in that Crystarium, uh, you can actually flip through like a little virtual binder of them, and you can yeah. flip through the pages, and you can set them and turn them around. It actually reminds me a lot of the uh, the action figures in Brave Fencer Musashi. That was the first thing that came to mind. It's also um, a lot like the trophies in Smash Brothers, where each one has like yeah. a little a little description of whatever it is. Like you know, the VV card talks about VV in Final Fantasy IX. Mm-hmm. Right. So they they. It's neat how much attention there is to absolutely everything from from the levels that you go through, how close they are to the original games, to the song choices that they made, to the cards, to the Crystarium. Like, it's all there. It, it really does a great job of mixing RPG-style progression with a really addictive rhythm game. And I, I think it's on track to possibly be my favorite game of the entire year. I, you know, I, I, I jokingly said that at first when I first started playing. I'm like, oh, music game, RPG... But I actually think it might be my game of the year because it's, it's just it's so the core good. gameplay is all, was already awesome, and now they've refined it. Like, so Derek, correct me if I'm wrong. In the first Kurt theater rhythm, the spinning notes could just be part of a song, right? Like on ultimate, some yeah, of the songs part of the just harder things in the in the chaos shrine. Yeah, okay, like yeah. The the chaos shrine was like the their really pared down quest mode where it was just like you did three random songs. Um, yeah. So the 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 higher level ones would have spinning arrows sometimes. Yeah. And I those sort of took a little bit of the fun out for me, and they're tough. But so in this one, you could be you could be doing a, a battle where a monster has a status effect that makes your arrows spin, so it's harder to hit the arrow, meaning it's harder to hit the monster. So it's sort of an abstraction of it. Um, but this one just takes all of those mechanics and makes them fit around a much more engaging game. Um, yeah, I completely it, agree. It's. You know, there, there's just so much to talk about in it, and, like, it's just, it's... I hate to use the word content, we know that, but this is a game that already had the mechanics down, and they just delivered a boatload of content. And it's all, like, very thoughtful. Incidentally, uh, my it was pretty cool. Uh, I was playing, the day the game came out, I was all excited because I could finally play people online. And I played someone online, and uh, it turned out he had... He played, and we played a couple of rounds, and it was a lot of fun. And then, like, a day later, the review went live or something, and he emailed me and said, hey, I read your review. I saw your player card. We played online the other day. So that was pretty cool. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. And uh, you, can, uh, you, can, you can make a funny little tagline for your player card, and you unlock additional phrases for the tagline. So you could be, like, a super cool dragoon. Uh, I was um, uncomfortably sexy for a while, and now I'm actually a sexy sky pirate. Nice. Yeah, there, there's, there's a ridiculous amount. Like, like we keep saying, basically, there's just every facet of the game has something that you can continue unlocking or adding to, which makes for a very addictive structure. And they don't gate it behind paid, you know, roadblocks, DLC kind of stuff. The DLC that's there is meaningful. 
and you can pick and choose which songs you want. And I mean, I th- they're a buck a song, and I th- think a dollar a little much, but I don't really know how else they could price it. Um, I'd prefer if it was like, you know, oh, buy for $3, get a token that lets you get five songs. Like, that would be cool. But um, I'm willing to pay a buck for, for a really good song here and there. And there's a, there's a, I had an interesting discussion on Twitter with some people about this. You don't actually have the ability to buy DLC until you hit a certain amount of unlocked. Um, yeah. And the DLC menu is actually pretty hard to find. Like it's, they, they clearly are, and to me, someone said this, and I agree, they're confident in the content of their game that you have to unlock the ability to do DLC and that it's not embedded into the main part of the game. You have to completely back out of your save file and go to the main menu to even see the DLC button. Right. And, you know, that's the thing is, you know, you play a game that feels very limited and then you're like, I don't want to buy DLC for this. There wasn't enough in the core game. Whereas here, it's like the exact opposite. I have so much fun playing what's there. I'm like, yeah, heck yeah, I'll go spend four bucks and get four new songs that could be in quest mode and could be in versus mode. Because it doesn't, they didn't, what they didn't skimp on is that thing we missed from like games like, you know, 10 years ago where all the secret stuff was unlockable. You know, like it's awesome to just be playing songs, having fun, and then all of a sudden unlock a new song that you had no idea was in the game. Uh-huh. Um, and that goes on. Like I was unlocking new songs. I stopped unlocking songs at like the 45th hour. Yeah. It's kind of the same argument as um, Rock Band, where Rock Band you were getting the voice part, the drum part, the guitar part, and the bass part when you bought a song. So it didn't feel like you were just buying the song. You were getting all these different parts of the actual piece. And I think that that went a long way toward making people want to buy more songs, if that sounds yeah. silly. But no, I think they did the same thing notes. here. That's a great, anal- yep. great analogy because here, you know, the song you get has the area. Like there, there's the Ancient Library song from Final Fantasy V as DLC. You buy that, you get, first of all, the background is the Ancient Library. And then, so the monsters you fight there are Final Fantasy V monsters. And in some cases, they're new monsters that are only in that DLC. So you're getting more than just the song on the note chart. Mm-hmm. And because there's so much and because you can buy them individually, it really feels like you're sort of not being nickel and dimed. I mean, it is pure profit for them. But, you know, one could say, why weren't all these just in the game? But that's, you know, they're, they're sort of extras. And all the songs you would want are already in the game, like the classics. These are more like the, yep. like the sort of interesting or crazy chocobo from thirteen two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how. I, that's how I feel whenever I see like a a Final Fantasy eleven track or something. Since I spent so much time with that game, I'll be like, oh wow, I really liked this one track that I wouldn't have expected them to put in the game. But as DLC, like I'll totally grab that. And I'm sure a lot of people have the same reaction where they're like, oh, I grew up playing Final Fantasy 4 over and over, so I'm really glad that they added such and such song, you know. Exactly. I think we've gone on at length. It's it's fantastic. And yeah, I, go buy it. It's good. I mean, we can tell yeah. that you guys love it, which is really saying something. Like, that's awesome. That makes me so happy. Derek and I yeah, played a, a competitive match, okay. and we're scoring oh, within man. us. So this is a game where you score mil- in the millions of points each song. Like, the top score is 999 million for every song. Derek and I were coming within, like, hundreds to thousands of points of each other in every competitive song. So Yeah, because we both played the original enough that um, we both, I think we started out both playing on Ultimate, which is the hardest difficulty. And when you get into Versus mode, they have all this stuff, like like we said, the spinning arrows or s- slowing down, speeding up, all that kind of stuff. Judgment. And it, it makes it, it's, it's so chaotic, but in the best way, um, it makes the game feel incredibly fresh. Like, it, I feel like the Versus mode has a ton of longevity. 
So Steven and I were both, it's, it's, I don't think there's anything better than playing a versus game against somebody who you are evenly matched with. Oh yeah. Um, cause it's the curb stopping people. It's no fun being stomped. So Steven and I, like we were literally ending songs where the difference between victory and defeat was one or two missed notes. So it was, it's fantastic. I, it's I cannot get enough of that versus mode. We, and I was like, Steven, all right, I can do a couple and then I have to get back to my homework or whatever. And we ended up doing like. I think we did like 10 in a row, yeah. And then I was like, all right, one more. Okay, okay, just one more after that one. So any yep. game that can get that just one more mentality out of you is is doing something right. So. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, oh, and you should the, go get the, it, Rob. You should get it, Rob. And the Battlefield for Shuffle or Boogie, the card game song for Final Eight, is literally the card game board. I do, <laughs> really? I, oh, yeah. God. It's pretty funny. I do want to pick it up. I just haven't made like a final decision yet, and there's a couple of titles coming out in the next few weeks. But I, I was intrigued. I didn't think I was going to like it, and then I played it at E3, and I liked it quite a bit. It surprised well, me will, in a very positive well, what way. What tell you one dollar to get TG Sid as your DLC character? Oh, I do like TG Sid because that's me. That that is me in He's some pretty ways. Wonderful. There's a lot of there is a lot of tactics love in this game. Like the menus and stuff use remix songs from the uh, various games in the series. And two menus use tactic songs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, it's, it's really good. Did you know that? Did you know that theater rhythm's good? I, I think we can tell it's good. I think we can tell that you guys like it. We like it. All right, so Quite what next? What, what next do we talk about here? What have you been playing, Rob? Uh, I've been playing a little Wasteland 2. Um, I've been having a very hard time finding time to play it, and that's not... Uh, indicative of the quality of the game i'm really enjoying it full game released back on september 19th so a little bit over a week ago and it's really good they added a lot from the beta they added a mini map which was really important uh you know you're playing in these large overhead environments and that makes life a lot easier uh certainly does it seems a little bit more balanced. Like, the combat, I wouldn't say, is hard. And Steven will get there in a second. But it is challenging. I'm playing on Seasoned. So there's four difficulty levels, and I'm playing on Seasoned, which is kind of middle down. Like, that's the... If we have, like, super easy, easy, hard, and really freaking hard, this is the easy mode. Because uh, I just didn't want to push it too much. And I read the descriptors, and they were like, you know, these two additional difficulty modes, you probably shouldn't play unless you've played a little bit of Wasteland. And, Steven, how'd that work out for you? Well, I started out on the ultimate difficulty mode. And uh, part of the problem was that I didn't build my party with any people who had, like, medical abilities. So the moment somebody died, I, was, I instantly failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sort of sucked. Uh, I moved it to the second highest difficulty, and I found that to be a good sweet spot. Uh, it's challenging, requires you to really use your skills, but doesn't feel unfair. This is a game for me, again, like Divinity, where I sort of need it to be difficult for me to even feel like I should bother playing, because it's like, well, if it's so easy, why do I need to worry about my character's skills? I'll just teach everybody gun and murder everything. Mm-hmm. Um this is a game where I feel like difficulty is very important, and there are a lot of options for it, so I think that's good. And they do a really good job of making sure that you're using your skills. So yeah, you could teach all your characters gun, like you're saying, make sure that they're all able to kill things rather easily, but then you won't be able to unlock this or unlock that or make sure that you or figure have out what this computer would do. Or... Right, you lose access to a lot of content. So like each one of my characters has like a specific type of weapon that they're using they have a specific thing that they're going to focus on in combat but then they have their out of combat abilities and i really really like that about the game because 
you know, it, you have a tendency to have that one useful character. Like when you're playing Dragon Age, you have your rogue, and he's the dude, or he's or she's the girl that you're gonna pick, and they're gonna unlock the doors or fiddle with the traps. This is like you have skills for opening safes, opening locks, repairing opening, toasters, repairing toasters. There, there's so many skills. I will say, I think that they could have combined safe cracking and lock picking. That was kind of one of those like, really, I have to have an individual skill for safe cracking. But it, it makes you really think about your party composition, and what I've noticed is there's been a lot of complaints online that the second you get through the title screen and you start building a party, it's overwhelming. I would agree with that to a point. But that's, this, that's the kind of game. This is built to be, you right. cannot, you can't go and have one person who can do, you know, you, you can't build a party that can do everything. You have to specialize, and that's where the replayability of it comes from. One thing I will say, however, is I prefer this game not only thematically to Divinity. I, I, I like post-apocalyptic settings. This is, And to keep in mind, this isn't Fallout. This is more Mad Max. Fallout kind of has that 1950s, like, kind of winking, jokey nature to it. It feels like if the nuclear war happened in the 1950s versus Wasteland 2, which very much feels like Mad Max, kind of like... I, I, I actually disagree. Edge. I think it feels very uh, winky-winky as well, but... Thematically, you're right. It, it does not feel like the 1950s version. It's, yeah, okay. So I do fair. think it's very tongue-in-cheek. But what I've what I really enjoyed more about this game than Divinity when I got to character creation, Divinity felt like I didn't even know where I was going to go with my characters. Like, I started out and I had this wealth of options, but I had no concept of where they could go. Wasteland gives you everything right there. And granted, you're not dealing with magic spells or anything, so I can't fault Divinity too much for that and give Wasteland too much credit because you're not dealing with magic. But Wasteland is very much like, okay, here's a skill that will prevent you from getting into combat in the wastes. Like, you won't get into random encounters. Here's a skill that heightens your perception, which I'm finding is very important because there are a lot of landmines and stuff all over the Wasteland. So that was... They're everywhere. That's actually one thing I don't like is that it kind of feels like every box is booby-trapped, and I'm kind of getting annoyed with that a little bit. But I feel like Wasteland lays all the cards on the table much the same way that when I get a Dungeons & Dragons manual, I can look and see what my character progression is going to be over the next 20 levels. Like, I can see that, oh, at level 13, I'm going to get this. At level 15, I get this. I get that Divinity is trying to maybe surprise you in a positive way, but I ultimately didn't feel like I even knew where my character was going. Like, I didn't know if I should pick up this skill or if I should focus on this. And that was very... That made me very nervous when I was playing my character. It really freaked me out. Even something as simple as a skill tree would have made me feel a hell of a lot better when I was playing Divinity. Wasteland 2 lays everything out, and Steven, I know you're going to say that you prefer Divinity, so I'm going to give you a shot to get in there. I'm not going to say I prefer Divinity, although I do. Uh, I, I, I actually I don't agree with your assessment here. I actually think Divinity is much easier to figure out than Wasteland. Wasteland has way more skills than Divinity, and Wasteland, each skill... Leveling up the skill doesn't give you new abilities. It gives you better efficiency with that skill. Leveling up your handgun doesn't make it so you have new handgun attacks. It makes it so you have less of a chance to miss a higher crit. And so mousing over the different skill bars tells you, oh, well, at this level you're going to have this, you know, you're going to have plus 6% chance. And I feel like that's less interesting. That's like, all right, yeah, I know every ability my character is ever going to have. And there's nothing wrong with that because that is, that's very much in the Fallout vein. Divinity has much fewer skills. Divinity has a selection, you know, magic schools like Aerithurge, Hydrosophist, and stuff like that, Pyromancy. Uh, and then it has 
one skill set for rogue type abilities, one skill set for archer abilities, one skill set for, you know, sword and shield. And you can see what each level is going to do. And basically each level lets you equip more skills of that variety. Mm-hmm. So, but, like, But would you, you agree with me that you don't know what magic skills are coming up? Well, the game tells you what each skill set does. Like Hydrosophist focuses on buffs and healing. So you know if you want to be a buffer and a healer, you got to go with that. Um, you don't know what skills are like. You don't know what your exact skills are going to be, but you know what they're going to fall into. Like you know that if you use sword and shield, you're going to get abilities that let you hit people with a sword and shield. I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. I, I think that there is a a pretty big difference between the two. And I do. Excuse me, one second, Barry. Come on. Um, I do feel like um, in Divinity. I agree with you. You you have the like, okay, this is the buff school, this is the fire school, but I still want to know what those skills are. If I'm going to invest in this and it's a bunch of short-range fire abilities and I wanted long-range fire abilities, I feel like I'm wasting my time in this school. Well, but you get both. Right, but you're, but you're right. Wasteland 2 is very much about you're getting better with a skill set rather than learning new skills. Yeah, that's the thing is the skill set in Wasteland is do I have the ability to do this thing, whereas... In Divinity, it's like Sword and Shield. Am I able to use this skill? And I, I don't, I, I, I don't really understand how you would have a skill tree in Divinity because you learn all of your abilities from manuals and books. Right, right. And a skill tree would spoil everything you're going to get. Part of the excitement in Divinity for me is getting to a new area or to a new level and being like, oh gosh, what kind of skills am I going to be able to get now? Like, I'll, look at all these cool new spells that I didn't know I was going to get. I hate it when RPGs are like, here's every ability you're ever going to have, and there's going to be no surprise. There's no discovery. It's just, all right, my guy's going to be using sniper rifles and shooting from far away and aiming for the head for the entire game. That's I like right. that I like that in Wasteland because that's the type of game it is, and I don't mind that it's focused on that. But in Divinity, it's like every couple levels with my wizard, all of a sudden I have an entirely new set of tools to do things with. Like at level 12, I learned the ability to summon a tornado that clears the battlefield of any like fire or poison or steam. So it's like... It expands the type of strategies available to me only once I've gotten used to a certain set of strategies already. Early in the game, it's like, yeah, I shoot lightning into a into a steam cloud and it becomes a lightning cloud. And then we have to work around that. But then my friend and I playing, we unlock the tornado move. And now all of a sudden, I can set up a lightning cloud to block off enemies, but tornado through the middle so he can run up and start stabbing people. Mm-hmm. I actually, So I, I actually feel like that sense of discovery is why I'm not enjoying Wasteland as much as Divinity. Because I love the post-apocalyptic setting. Um, Divinity does have a very interesting story, though, uh, I think. You know, it seems very vanilla fantasy at first. But Wasteland has a really cool post-apocalyptic vibe. But sort of like, it, uh, it's sort of cheesy, but I love the intro being live-action people. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's a lot in Wasteland that I like. But just the, the, the only thing I don't dig... Wasteland is very much a Dungeons and Dragons style RPG with a system where you build your character. This is who your character is. You know, you can write your bio for them. You can set their age. You can set what their favorite cigarettes are. Um, and it's that's the type of game where a lot of the fun comes from building a weird party. Like as a kid, I would have probably just built a party full of people that could kill the crap out of people. And here, I made a character who's terrible at fighting, but she's awesome at repairing toasters. And that's the kind of character that it's fun to roleplay in that sort of game because it's like you're exploring this like lab full of murderous plants and bugs, and your character's like, I can't shoot anything, but if we find a toaster, I can repair it. 
Wasn't that my skill in your playthrough, Rob? Uh, yes. No, you're my... Well, it was before. You're my healer now. I made my guy the toaster repair guy. Uh, you're you're oh, like okay. my... You're my surgeon. Like, you what, bring I can't every... be both? Uh, no, I think your other skill <laughs> is computer science, I want to say. You, you have to special... Like, there are so many skills that you have to pick, like, two or three for each character, and then you kind of have to decide what kind of weaponry they're going to focus on. Steven hit the nail on the head, though. It is very Dungeons & Dragons-oriented. I will say I, I'm not nearly as excited for level-ups as I was in Fallout because you had all those perks. I Which they might be adding. I patch. really, really hope they add those to Wasteland 2 because that would add that, that extra sauce. That, that little sense of something. surprise. Yeah, like, that, that sense be... of my character has changed now. Whereas yeah. it's not just, I'm better at shooting people. That, I think, would make huge strides in the game to make it feel a little bit more interesting where you level up. Whereas now, it is a little vanilla when you level up. It's like, oh, I got some skill points. Which skills do I want to make better? That is one minor complaint I would have. And, you know, maybe they're going to fix it. But for right now, I'm having a ball with it. The writing is very, very sharp. Some clunky quest direction here and there, but they just released a patch to hopefully help that out a little bit. But I'm enjoying it, and I think that people who backed it will really enjoy it. And it's yeah, they they delivered exactly what they promised. They exactly. Would they they like, said they were going to deliver an old school role playing game, and they did. And that's which what is I pretty said. excellent. That's what I was saying before the show, too. The reason I like Divinity better, and this is not to say Wasteland is at fault for this, Divinity feels more like a computer RPG with modern considerations. Like, what could you do if you could mess with the physics of your magic? Whereas Wasteland is very much a, what would happen if we made a brand new version of Fallout? Mm -hmm. And again, that works really well. There's a great market for that. I'm part of that market. Um, I just wish I had played Wasteland first because now I'm sitting there in combat like, oh, well, why can't I do something wacky with like the stuff on the battlefield and things like that? And it's not designed for that, so the game works fine. But I think overall the benefit of games like Divinity and Wasteland where they're kickstarted is that these are games that are going to be refined for the next several years. Wasteland is going to keep getting improvements. Look at Shadowrun. Shadowrun came out two years ago, and they just released a new expansion for it, like a, an upgraded expansion. Yep, yep. So, okay, uh, Wasteland 2, pretty good, uh, enjoying it quite a bit, and definitely look into it if you want to see something kind of in that old-school CRPG. It's been a good year for that uh, with Divinity as well. I'm excited for a Final Fantasy again game. Uh, you cut me off, you jerk. I was in the middle of it. I, was, I am excited for a Final Fantasy game again. This is yep. great. Derek, you're recording this, right? Good, because we're just going to make this the intro over <laughs> and over again. This will be again. the intro, just over and I'm over. Excited for a, I'm excited for a, I'm excited for a f -f Final this Fantasy game. My new text message notification for Rob. Uh, God, you I'm won't excited hear it for very, a Final Fantasy game again. You won't hear it very often. Uh, He's going to not text me just for that reason. Oh God. Yeah, that that trailer. It's um, I've I heard a little bit of uh, the enthusiasm wave did go up and down a bit. I think the initial reaction, though, from most people on the net was, holy crap, not only does it exist, it actually looks pretty damn good. Right, because the first time they showed the game, I don't think... It, it didn't look real, and I'm talking about the original, like, this is on PlayStation 3, and it was Noctis running around. So we're talking about Final Fantasy XV, first off. When they were showing Noctis running around, what was it, like a party, like in the sky scene, and there was, like, yeah. this attack. That... it. it, it kind of looked real but it didn't look fully real i was kind of like oh, i don't know last year's e3 footage you could tell some of it was real but then a lot of it was kind of like how much of this is really uncharted style like 
uh, I don't know. And then this trailer was like, oh, okay. The, the funny it. part about this trailer is that like the stuff you saw last year that was target renders isn't as good as what we're doing with the engine now. Yeah, exactly. They were very quick to talk about that. It looks pretty dang good. We saw a lot of motion. We saw a lot of fluid combat. We saw a car, which was cool. Just, just to be clear, we're talking about 15 and not Type-0. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we saw the car, which was pretty excellent, and hopefully that's going to become a big part of the game. Think I hope so. the car's name is Boko. Oh, God. Boko. That's pretty good. Yeah. I wouldn't mind if they did that. Or just yeah. the, the license plate says Wark or Quet. That would be funny. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just it's looking way sharper, and uh, I don't want to say farther along than I anticipated just because they've been developing this game forever. And it is worth noting, of course, that ever since Hajime Tabata took the, uh, the reins, what was that, two years ago now? Um, he he so, took. He became they announced director it. two years ago, yeah, and that's when right, they scrapped they it and restarted it completely. Right. So for two years of development, um, I think, based on your typical Final Fantasy development cycle, which versus the whole versus thing has just been a, a nightmare and a joke all at once. Uh, I think as far as a regular development cycle, though, it looks really good for them having scrapped most of it and started um, a new. The only thing I, I noticed graphically, and again, this was like a, it's an early-ish build. You know, it's it's, it's probably pre-alpha at this point yeah there's um, there was a little bit of 70%. jank yeah there was some jank in the uh a couple of the animations like when noctis would run and then turn around it looked a little bit janky but for the most part it's it's looking really smooth it's looking like an actual game that we will be able to play on our actual playstations yeah at some it, point in our actual lives i i'm sort of like obsessing over it you know like i've been reading like all the neogaf threads for it which i rarely do and that you music, know man the music is amazing. Some, uh, you know, I want to give this guy credit because I don't remember, or this girl, I don't know if it's a guy or a girl, but uh, someone took the trailer music from the new 15 trailer and created it. Guardian Soul. It's uh, Gratia Mundi. And it's the song from the trailer. And it's, you know, it's not the exact That's... version because it's, it's a remake of it. But it's all we have now. And it's amazing. It's a fan fan bequeathed name by the way just in case anybody yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you guys said uh, it was so. it was very impressive and they they talked about one button comment uh i put a news story combat excuse me one button combat and they put a news i put a news story out about it i still think that that's okay steven you did some research into that about a patent that they had filed that ended up on neogaf so, yeah so you can even you can find it on the rpg fan final fantasy 15 board i linked to it but basically what they've talked about so Tabata's not doing a very good job selling this game. No, he's... Tabata he's is clearly a director. He's talking about how he wants to simplify the game and how it's going to be this, and we want cool things to happen without the player having to do a lot, and he's really not marketing it well. But so what they've talked about, Square Enix filed a patent that talked about a system that sounds like the Gambit system from 12, where you set up, I'm three meters from the enemy, so use this attack. And, you know, I'm two meters from an ally, so use this attack. And so you sort of, it, it strikes me as you have these conditions and then you have your, your abilities that you learn. We don't know how you learn, but you get them. And these are like your sword attacks, like use my heavy sword if I'm two meters away from a strong enemy or something. And so what that does is you press that one button to attack with your sword. And based on your gambits you've set up with you and your party, that's, that's your combo. So like, you know, if you're three, you'll dash forward with a spear or something like that. Um, so the, the sort of, customization of your combo comes in the form of these gambits 
And then, you know, it's not strictly one button. That's why I think he's selling it poorly. There's a dodge button. So you press the dodge button to go into a mode where you dodge attacks. And then you're sort of navigating whether you're attacking or dodging. You know, you can tap the attack button once to just attack. And this actually works very similar to Type-0. In Type-0, you can hold the attack button to do a combo. And it's actually not even as complex because you just press the attack button and they have their combo. But as you learn new abilities, it changes what your combo is based on the direction you're pressing and like what your proximity to the enemy. So it's actually sort of a re refinement of the system in Type-0. And then a lot of people who've played the demo talk about how, yeah, it's one button for sword combat. But there's also like in the demo that people have seen the gameplay demo from the Tokyo Game Show. L2 is the is to cast fire and, you know, triangle warps with your sword. So it's not one button combat and that you're going to press X and watch the gameplay itself. You're going to set things up, at least based on this patent. You know, it could be, you know, it could totally change. Um, but it's pretty clear that this patent is talk, is is setting it up like this. There's going to be complexity to the game. It's just not going to be like Devil May Cry, I gotta press six different button combos to attack, which is fun too, but that's not, they, they wanted to make this feel more like a party-based Final Fantasy game, and that's what I think should make a lot of people excited, is that there's a clear emphasis now on the party, on interacting with the party, um, and because of how the system is gonna be set up, you know, it's gonna have those really smooth animations and look cool. So at first, I was really, really like, oh my god, what are you making, like an interactive cutscene? Uh, but now it really, if you follow along with it, it really sounds like they have a great idea. And one thing I try to tell myself too, aside from there, there are problems I have with it. Like, you know, an all dude cast is cool as a concept. And, you know, if they make a good plot with it, great. But it's an all dude cast where all the four dudes are from the same place. They're all friends at the get go. You don't get that sense of, hey, who's this ninja that stole my materia? That's what I'm concerned with. I like the idea of a road trip story. I like the sound of the combat and stuff. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. But it, what I like above all of that, as I was about to say, is that since Nomura came off the project, Tabata has a focus. He's going to turn into a seath if he doesn't complete it. But no, he has he has focus. Oh, that's bad. Like there is clearly rather than like with twelve where it had like three directors, so you could you could tell that the game got sort of meandering, or thirteen where they had no unified like what are we trying to accomplish here. 15 has a goal. They are making a road trip story. The, it's a bromance story, it seems like. Um, you know, they they know what they're making and they're sticking to that. And I think that's really important. That's sort of what I felt like was lacking. That the, My biggest problem with 12 and 13 both was that it was like they were sort of meandering. And like it felt like, you know, the product of too many cooks in the kitchen. With Nomura getting the boot, which I think is great because I love Kingdom Hearts, but, you know, he needs to work on one project. Uh, Tabata's Tabata's a great director Type-0 is good um, having a focus in mind means they are designing a game to have mechanics that play together, they have a, a thematic concern that is not changing every five minutes and lastly people are like oh but it's been in development for so long it's probably a mess the game has not been in development for eight years no, the game got completely scrapped two years ago so this game functionally we've been talking about it for a long time but you need to remember this game has basically been being made for two years yeah that it really annoys me the whole like duke nukem forever argument on this and, and you guys know me i'm the first one to kind of say when square enix is 
ticking me off a little bit, but there's no reason to get bent out of shape over this. I think Final Fantasy Versus 13 was completely scrapped. They decided to start again. I think we saw the first inkling of what they were doing with that Noctis video of him running around an environment. That was like the first, like, okay, we're actually working on this. They they were working on 13. They were working on 13 and 13.2 and Lightning Returns. And, you know, 15 different Kingdom Hearts spinoffs. I have gone back and forth on Square Enix so much, but so far in the past year, starting with the release, the re-release of Final Fantasy XIV, they've really been working. We've seen some great things out of them. I think that XV looks very impressive. I'm intrigued by it. I want to see what they do. The idea of this big open world and letting you kind of literally drive around it and have fun, that sounds great. Um, yeah, and I know... Go ahead, just, go ahead. Just to add real quick to that, too. What's great is that they said big open world, but not Skyrim. They said this is a Final Fantasy where you, you have a clear goal, point A to point B. You can explore the world, but there is a linear storyline to follow that is not like, go find me a package and then bring it to, you know, Vivek. You know, right, the right. terrible and sort of lack of focus in an Elder Scrolls game doesn't sound like they're doing that here. Exactly. Right, because one, one of the tenets of a Final Fantasy experience is that cinematic sort of storytelling Mm-hmm. Um, being introduced to, to characters and locations place by place and, and advancing the plot in a, in a very structured way. Like, it, it, it is very much... They've always been very much in that Japanese style of telling you uh, a story very... I, I guess I, I said cinematic. Cinematically, <laughs> rather than world lore absorption. So, as long as they execute well, I think... I'm honestly, like, I'm hyped beyond belief for it. I probably tend to put too much faith in stuff... Most of the time, um, I don't get super disappointed all that often. But I mean, I, I just think 15's shaping up really well, and I want to believe in it. And that and trailer got me hyped all over. It just—it was opening the wound, and now it's like, oh god! Until I actually have that in my hands, I don't think I can actually stop thinking about it for more than like a day at a time. And I feel like they're pandering to you, Derek, and also to Rob, but, because they basically said, "Hey, we watched a video of Xenoblade, and guess what ideas we had." That's that's what I imagine is going to be the progression where you have this wide giant world to explore, but there's still a very clear linear narrative path for you. I, I would agree with you. I, I got a lot of Xenoblade vibes when I was watching the video, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. In I, a good way. Like yeah. they're taking the good aspects of Xenoblade. I, I mean, we always looked we always looked to Final Fantasy to kind of direct us when it comes to the JRPG during each generation. Like Final Fantasy X, kind of like exuded that turn-based battle system and 3D level design. That was huge. Final Fantasy VII, everybody knows. But, you know, I would argue we didn't really get that with the last console generation, and so nobody really knew what to do. What's the next thing? What's the next evolution? And I very much believe it was Xenoblade. I think Xenoblade and Persona were two games that went in opposite directions for JRPGs, and they've kind of become templates. We're seeing games that kind of pick up some Persona things. We're seeing games that are going for not the Skyrim open world, like Steven and Derek were just saying, but a game that still feels open enough for exploration versus the tunnel that was Final Fantasy XIII. And I'm not saying that to pick on Final Fantasy XIII. No, it it was a problem. Yeah. And, and what's also interesting to me, and this kind of, I think, keeps us going in news, because we could talk about how excited we are for Final Fantasy XV for a while here, but they just announced that Final Fantasy XIII is going to be on Steam. So we're getting a PC version of Final Fantasy XIII. Again, Square Enix seems to be figuring it out. We're That's, getting all three of them, actually. Yeah, I we're going to get right? all three yeah. of them on PC. I've, 
I will buy Lightning Returns on PC. That's not a question. I don't yeah. know about the other two, but uh, I'll actually I think probably Lightning buy them benefit off. from that a lot. We're seeing across the board. The, the Japanese developers are starting to embrace the PC a little bit, um, you know, even within system requirements notwithstanding. Let's see what happens there. But, uh, you know, with Metal Gear uh, uh, announced for Steam, with Final Fantasy XIII announced for Steam, this is a really good avenue because it, it's twofold for me. One, I think Japanese developers were leaving a lot of money on the table by not taking advantage of PC hardware and PC game sales. And two, I like the classic nature of the PC where we have modders that will take over and make sure that the games run on new operating systems. And backwards compatibility, as silly as it may sound, is very important to me. I like to play old games from time to time. I'm playing the Resident Evil 4 HD collection right now, and I'm having a fantastic time with one of my favorite games of all time. The PC allows people to go back and replay these games. I mean, do you guys want to be busting out your PlayStation 3 if you want to play Final Fantasy 13 again? You know, no, you don't want to be actually, doing it. Actually, I've been wanting to replay it because uh, I've never played it in English to completion. I've only beaten it in Japanese. And like when they, right when they announced the PC version, I was like, oh, good. I'll just wait and get that. Exactly. Exactly. That's huge. That's the kind of thing that PC development allows. It's not, you know, this, this isn't PC gaming versus console gaming. Please don't misread me on that. But, you know, if the consoles were all backwards compatible, I'd be saying the same thing. Like, this is awesome. Release it on as many consoles as you can. So it becomes a big deal. And I, I think we're seeing some really, really smart moves out of Square Enix. Hats off to them. I'm really excited to see Final Fantasy 15. We got a release date for Type Zero HD in America, uh, March, and it's, not, and it's soon. Yeah, that's very yeah. soon. And yeah, it's very soon. Now, now I want to be cautious here because I think the language has gotten a little much when it comes to this demo. Mm -hmm. It comes yep. with a voucher, voucher for the demo yes. that they are trying to make available when Type Zero comes out. Right. They, they are not guaranteeing it, but they want they want it to be available as close to Type Zero as possible for the 15 demo Everybody, episode of this game. Everybody needs to relax. I've seen so many news stories where people are like, oh, it's coming out with Type-0. I'm like, the voucher is, guys. I think it'll be close. I don't think we're going to see a year turnover on it. But I think it it might not come out right away. And I, you know the internet's going to go for the dang pitchforks the second that happens. And it's like, everybody relax. This is a real think, game. It's in development. I think it'll be out, like... If if it isn't out alongside Type Zero, I I can't see it taking any longer than maybe another month or two, maybe May, since Type Zero comes out in um, March. March. I don't have anything to back that up, but they they've made such a big deal about getting it out close that I don't think it's going to be a huge delay. So I and and also we haven't really touched on it too much, but uh, so Type Zero HD that's a thing, um, and it looks gorgeous about obviously, but it looks freaking fantastic. Like the lighting, so they're using the same lighting engine that they're using in 15. And first of all, this doesn't look like they just upscaled a PSP game. Like, because God of War, whenever God of War Chains of Prometheus, or Chains of whatever the heck Chains it was. Chains of Prometheus. Chains of Promethea. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking of uh, Final Fantasy XI. Final Fantasy XI expansion, Chains of Promethea, yeah. You know, that looked okay. Uh, this looks like they are clearly rebuilding the assets on the next gen console. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not a, you know, it's not on par with other PS4 native stuff, but it looks really sharp. Yeah, you know, this this looks like a quality bit of graphics. Like I'm I'm replaying the Type Zero now, and you know, <clears throat> I'm playing it in a language I have not played it before. And because uh -huh. this is the third time I've played it, I've played it a lot. I I, I bought the game in Japanese to play it, and. Uh, 
you know, it's a great game. And I always told myself it looks too good for a PSP game. There's a little bit of slowdown very rarely, but like just the detail in the backgrounds and stuff always looked like it could, it was like Xenoblade where I was like, this shouldn't look this good, but it does. Um, so now going back and playing and having seen type zero HD footage is crazy. Cause now I'm like, Oh my God, this is ugly. Cause it looks so good in HD. Uh, you know, the, the, the new assets they're using, the character models are the cutscene models from the original PSP release. So like they look really sharp, um, you know, and that lighting engine and like the cloaks flapping in the wind with like physics is just ridiculously good looking. Physics, lots and lots of physics. Get excited. You, you said every day when you taught, right? Yeah, well, that's that's what I do. Uh, yeah, we're we're seeing some cool stuff. TGS was pretty exciting, guys. I think that it was. The, there I, was I, a I, lot of stuff. There was some kind of feeling online like Japanese game development was still going downhill, and I'm like, no, I saw some pretty good stuff, guys. Like 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 Zodiac and Legend of Legacy. Yeah. Which one of those has the worst oh, yes. title ever? But the game looks awesome. Yeah, Legend yeah. of Legacy <laughs> is like trying to win an award there. That's trying to win yeah. the award for 1990s. Hey, I watched an anime and I combined some fantasy words. Now it's the Legend of Resonance. Of Fate. Yeah, of well... Fate. Yeah, Awakening, well, Origins. Awakening, Origins, Revelations, 3D. Yeah, basically. Uh, that hurt me wait, a little bit a... to even hear that. I'm sorry. There was um, a little announcement of a, a game that has a uh, release date. Um, some, yeah, pathogens some, some kind of pathogen... Uh, that is airborne, if you will. No, no, it wasn't airborne. It was maybe, uh, maybe carried through the uh, the blood, maybe. Yes, Rob. <laughs> no, I, I actually, I, I do want to try this game out. It's still a little bit gross for me, but I will, I will reserve judgment fully until I can experience it. So, Bloodborne did get a release date. Yes, it's coming out on February sixth in North America. Yep. And uh, there's going to be that collector's edition as well. It's going to come with the steelbook case, an art book, and a digital soundtrack. Yes, I know. (laughs) Not surprised at all. So, yeah, so that's pretty exciting. I think we're going to have a pretty... Obviously, now we have just just this alone, this slated with um, Type-0 HD coming out the following month. That's going to be a really heavy first quarter for RPGs. Yeah, no kidding. Well, like, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about probably the 15 demo very close to that, too. So, like, there's going to be a yeah. lot of... And, you, you know, let's let's all be honest. We know what's going to happen with the 15 demo. It's going to come out, and just like every Final Fantasy ever, everybody who started with 7 is going to go, the series died with 10. And, you know, people are going to say it sucks, and some people are going to love it. And, you know, it's the Final Fantasy cycle all over again. I love it. I think it's okay yeah, that no. they're trying something new. So uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I'm actually surprised that that whole idea hasn't really been done. I can't think of any games that have had the road trip thing. That's why uh, it's so cool. It's and and to think of that in the Final Fantasy style is like wow, that's actually very interesting. And again, like you said, Stephen, I'm not incredibly happy with the decision to not have female party members, and maybe they will change that. Actually, part of. Uh, I was thinking that maybe it might be something along the lines of Metal Gear Solid 2, where they're like, psych, you're going to have girls the whole time. Yeah, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, but, uh, you know, they seem to have a vision. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a very powerful first quarter. So many interesting games coming out. Uh, we're, it, it's just great to see that game developers are kind of like, you know what, we can release games whenever we want to right now. 
like Bloodborne could probably come out in October or November and maybe have some serious problems. Instead, it's getting a nice release window. Also, it's a game that was announced and it's going to be released within what nine months. Yeah, that within was nine months of nice. when it was announced, <laughs> uh, when it was announced, like I think that that might have also been to avoid some cannibalism with Dark Souls Two. I'm guessing that's a game they could have announced earlier, but you know, this is great to see a game be like, "Oh, when's this coming out? I'm excited. Let me get my hands." What? It's coming out that soon? That's great. I still think Final Fantasy Fifteen is going to be 2016. I believe. I think Final Fantasy Fifteen is going to be end of 2015 for Japan. Uh, I think beginning of 2016 for Japan. I'm right yeah. there with you, though. Right I'm, with, with I'm with Steven. I'm, I'm thinking December for, for Japan, and then we'll probably get it like February, March. Because their they're yeah. turnaround has been pretty they, good lately. It's, it's, it's been like two months. Yeah, and they say they're about 55% done with it. Yeah. So what other, game, what other pieces of news do you have for me, Derek? Well, if we want to continue talking about Final Fantasy a little bit longer, they announced the, the next patch for Final Fantasy fourteen at TGS. Well, rather announced the name for it. Um, it's called Dreams of Ice. It's patch 2.4, so it's the fourth big update to the game since its relaunch. And they they've kept a really consistent schedule of continuing to add substantial content to the game. It's fantastic. Um, this patch adds the new class and job, which is a really big deal since it's the first time that's happened in the game. It adds Rogue, the class, which turns into Ninja, the job. Uh, saw some new trailers at e- or, sorry at TGS, uh, showing off some of the Ninja and Rogue's job actions, which looks cool. And the entire patch is centered around the uh, primal Shiva, so everybody knows Shiva, the ice. Uh, and she is she's an elder primal. All the primals that have been added so far have been like sub primals. So it's like for for your, primals, for your purposes, like Rob, think of it. They've been adding Andariel and Duriel. Now they're adding Mephisto. Oh, okay. Thank you. Put uh, it in terms of Diablo. I appreciate she's gonna, that. She's going to be <laughs> a a bigger deal than the other primals because she's one of the most powerful. So we just got we got a, our first look at her in the game, really, and the area where you're going to fight her. It's the Akafa Amphitheater, and it's just a big icy area. It looks like you can fall out of it, but it looks it's cool. cool. Um, so yeah, they're adding Shiva, uh, three new dungeons. So two of those are the new, the retooled hard mode dungeons, like they always do every patch. So at this time, it's Sestasha, which is like a pirate cove, and something Temple of Karn, which is like a, an FF12 style, um, like a burial ground almost. It's in interesting a, t- a temple basically and then finally like a, a, a i think it's snow cloak yeah so it's a snowy snow cloak, which looks had, awesome yeah we had stone vigil but yeah it looks really cool so basically uh long and short of it is is new patch coming out probably going to be uh mid to late october or maybe november they're going to announce it uh, or give more details uh, at the very latest at the final fantasy fan fest in las vegas that's happening on october 17th i think and they'll so probably announce the expansion there, too. Exactly, yeah, they're going to announce the expansion. So that's I, I was going to uh, mention that we'll probably see the expansion to that next year, before the end of the year for sure, I would say, and hopefully uh, we'll at least get a name for it and a release date. Oh, and also um, more FF14 merch is coming out, which is super cool. There's an art book coming out. Um, I forget what the name of it is, but it's going to be sold at the FanFest and then you can buy it online following the fan festival and it comes with a code for like a miniature enterprise airship minion that has Sid from 14 piloting it. That's cute. And there's also <laughs> a new Blu-ray music disc coming out. It's called final fantasy 14 from astral to umbral. And it's a music of arranged uh, tunes, including piano renditions. So mm, as the music yes. piece, we are super 
super stoked for 14 music it is good music so yeah so lots of cool 14 changes um i've been really inactive with it lately i've been logging on like maybe once every week or two to run a dungeon um but i'm i'm very much planning on getting back into it uh as soon as those patches or as soon as the next patch hits so it's good stuff yeah, i haven't and... really had time to play it i'll pretty much be logging in to do the story stuff and bouncing yeah so, and finally, the, the last piece of news that I had pulled up in case, unless you had anything else you want to talk about, Rob, was that um, at TGS 2014, our editor-in-chief, John, uh, John McCarroll, you may remember him from this very podcast. It's been quite a while, though. Um, he, he went to TGS, so he went and talked with the producer of Bravely Second. Um, to... So, uh, via a translator, he, he said basically that he was really pleased with the success and the sales of Bravely Default in the U.S., so they're hoping to localize Bravely Second. That's not an official statement by any means, but it was kind of a neat neat thing to get uh, exclusive confirmation, or not confirmation, but, you know, just, just to have one of us go and chat with them and have them be so optimistic and positive about it, so... I know yeah, that and they, they we, also said that they really wanted to localize Type Zero, so I think, you know... Yeah, so I think that I think that's credible, and uh, we had differing opinions on Bravely Default, but damn, that music was good, and that music was good. Bravely Second does have um, it has a different composer. It's not uh, Revo anymore. It's Supercell. Yeah, Rio. Yeah, uh, Rio so, something, something. So anyway, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that'll still make its way over. I wouldn't mind trying that to see how it changed from the first one, but. Yeah, that's all I really had pulled up for news. Did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about, Rob? No, I got to talk about Bloodborne. I'm good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm good. There, it's going to be a very Final Fantasy full next couple of months, especially. We've got Deterism, more 14, Type-0 HD, the 15 demo. So it's a good time to be a fan of I hope that this is a sign of a an uphill climb from here on. Or, you know what I mean? Not an, like a... A, a sign of, a, of Final an Fantasy's quality. Uh, a an sign upswing. of, thing, of good you. things. Yes, there we go. I, I, want, I, I, I was like, coffee. I can help him, and then I thought, no, 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 I really, uh, I really can't. Wow. <laughs> I'm not sure what to say. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, no, I think we're gonna be just you know fine. I mean. Good games coming out. I'm excited. Yep. It's gonna be a fun beginning of the year. So, yes, it is. Uh, to everybody, again, I, I apologize for being so late getting this podcast up. We. So much has been going on in our lives. I've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off, teaching a new class. We're going to do our best to try to get into a more regular rhythm here. Uh, And for Derek and Steven, thank you so much for listening. And we hope to chat again real soon. Party on. Party on, Wayne. Party Party on, guys.